0: backwards. It's been a long time. just got back home from Las Vegas not too long ago. I'm happy to be home. Life is good. I claimed a stream. I claimed it. It's my stream now. Today, we are going to be discussing three hacks to win more from the big blind. Because I know basically everyone does not play especially well from the big blind. They think they do, but usually they have pretty glaring errors and their strategy that makes it difficult for them to win in the long run. And today we're gonna to be discussing three things that you can do to drastically improve your skills. Understand that from the big blind, your ranges that you use from pretty much all spots will be very loose, which will give you plenty of room to make mistakes. You can play too cautiously post-flop, you can play too aggressively, you can perhaps call too often, you can call too infrequently, you can raise too often, whatever. You can mess up in all sorts of ways. So, you need to study big blind strategies. Hate to break it to you, you gotta study. I can't say three simple things to make you win in from the big blind because it's not that simple. It's actually a pretty tough, tricky spot to play in. Understand, if you do not study, you will lose. And that's, um, it is what it is. You got to study, you got to work hard. Fortunately for you at PokerCoaching.com, I have tons of content on how to play well from, well, all positions, including the big blind. And we do discuss extensively how to play from the big blind, because from the big blind, you will actually get to see the flop a lot of the time. And if you mess up every time you're in the big blind, just a little bit, that's going to not be good for you. How was your World Series of Poker? It was a lot of fun, but I did not win. It turns out if you don't win a tournament, you usually don't win. I did not win a tournament such as life. pool with the prime sub, thank you very much, I appreciate it. First things first. Defend adequately versus a raise. Here's some charts. Assuming you are 40 big blinds deep in a MDT, a multi-table tournament. 40 big blinds deep in a tournament. Let's take a look at these ranges. Here we have big blind versus an under the gun raise. And then here we have big blind versus a button raise. 40 big blinds deep. If you're deeper, you're going to use a different strategy. If you're shallower, you're going to use also a different strategy, with you going all-in more often. Let's take a look at this chart first. Big blind versus an under-the-gun raise. This is under-the-gun 8-handed. If you're playing 10-handed, you're going to play a little bit tighter. Notice, the hands in red, re-raise. So, if say your opponent makes it 2, you're going to make it something like 7.5. Okay? Hands in green, call. Hands in blue, fold. Take a look at the hands that opt to re-raise. Mainly, 10s and better and Ace-King for value, and all these other hands as bluffs that you will fold if you get re-raised. You'll notice that most of your bluffs come from Ace-X offsuit, King-X offsuit, and uh, King-9 suited, plus a few suited connectors. As you get shallower and shallower, most of your non-all-in 3-bet bluffs are going to come from hands with decent blockers. And to be fair, a lot of your all-ins will come from hands with decent blockers as well. But you see here... Ace-Queen, Ace-10, Ace-9, Ace-8, Ace-7, and Ace-6 offsuit, as well as King-Queen, King-Jack, Queen-Jack, and Jack-10 all have pretty good blockers, and they all bluff some portion of the time. Most people in this spot simply do not 3-bet bluff with these hands often enough at all. If they do 3-bet bluff in this spot, they just do it with, like, Ace-Queen or Ace-Jack or Ace-10 every time. And you'll see that these hands don't mind calling. They flop really well. You have to realize, against the early position raise, these hands flop... Very well, and you want to see the flop a large chunk of the time. Same thing with suited connectors. If we were deeper stacked, perhaps some of these suited connected high cards in this scenario would opt to re-raise, because you could then potentially even call a 4-bet, but that's not the case when we are shallower stacked, because usually we're either going to get called or jammed, and when you get jammed, it's a disaster to 3-bet a hand like Jack-10 suited, or really any of these hands, and have to fold if you get shoved on. It's not good. So you'll see that our 3-betting range is 10s and better, straight up for value. We're getting it in with those. And then all these other hands are bluffs. Okay? Against an under-the-gun player. I want to make it very clear. This is against under-the-gun who should have a very strong range to raise to begin with and then also to 4-bets. Okay? Their range should be very strong, so we cannot just get it in with the Ace-10. It doesn't work. Notice as well what our calling range looks like. All the suited hands continue. And very few of the offsuit hands continue. Right? We're just focusing on this chart here. This one on the this this side. That side. That side. The one way over there. So notice in the spot, stuff like Queen Eight, Jack Eight, Seven Five, King Seven, King Five, Ace Three. All these hands are folding pre-flop. And all these hands that use mixed strategies like King Six, Nine, Seven, Eight Six, etc., are basically break even. In which case, it's probably okay to fold. Because you have to realize from out of position, you're gonna have a difficult time playing post flop. Alright? So if anything, I would tell you to play a little bit tighter when it comes to calling in this situation against the the under-the-gun player, whose range should be pretty strong, which will let them bet very frequently post-flop. So, maybe we see 7-2 suited folding, all the other suited hands calling. Maybe you play even a little bit tighter, like 9-2, 8-2, 8-3, 6-2. I think it's fine, probably just to let those go. I think it's reasonable. Stuff like 5-4 offsuit, 8-6 offsuit, 9-7 offsuit, King-6 offsuit. It's fine just to let those go. I know a lot of people don't like to look at the GTO chart and say you should play tighter. But you got to remember, the GTO chart presumes both you and your opponent play perfectly. Not just they play perfectly, but also you play perfectly. And if there's a spot where you're probably not going to play all that well, it's out of position. So, I think you can probably play a little bit tighter. That said, in this scenario, I would just adjust by calling a little bit tighter preflop, but... I would definitely make a point to have an adequate amount of bluffs in my range. Most people do not bluff nearly often enough in the spot, which makes their range only value when they re-raise, which is a problem because then you're going to be really easy to play against. You're not profiting as much as you possibly could with these blocker hands. Let's move over here to big blind versus button. I wanted to show you this chart in particular because, as someone said right here, Hexar, I can't imagine ripping it in for 40 big blinds with pocket twos versus a button open. Haha. Most people can't imagine it. Which is why I'm showing you this chart. Most people screw this up over and over and over and over and over and over and over, and over again. Actually, I actually had a few spots like this in the World Series of Poker where I would have, like, you know, whatever, pocket sixes in a spot like this, and I would rip it in. And sometimes they'd have the nuts and they'd call me. You may say, but oh, but then you lose. It's a disaster. But you have to realize it's more profitable to play it in this manner than it is the other ways. So, do you want to make the most profitable play or do you want to make a play that makes less money? Well, you'd rather make the play that makes the most money. Now, if there are payout implications in a tournament, obviously you should play differently. I was actually playing deep in a $1,000 turbo tournament. Maybe there were, I don't know, 80 people left in the tournament out of whatever, 1,500 that started. And someone came to the table. They shut the doll in. Too wide, might I add, with a seven offsuit from like early position for 11 big blinds or something. I knew it was too wide. He said, I looked it up in the chart. Yeah, it's a little bit wide. But accounting for the fact that there were payout implications. We were down to 80 people out of 1,500. You, you probably want to even shy away from those spots that are barely profitable shoves, assuming there are no payout implications. So with payout implications, you got to be a little bit careful. Um, that said, in the early and middle stages of a tournament, just do what these charts say and you will be perfectly fine. And we see here, the hands in dark red are shoving. So which hands are shoving over a two big blind button raise when you were in the big blind? Well, you're going to find that the hands that very much always prefer to shove in spots like this and the hands that shove first, for the most part, in almost all scenarios when it comes to adding shoves to your range, are going to be small and mid- small and medium pairs. We see pocket 9s down to 2s does a ton of shoving. We also see Ace-King, Ace-Queen, I'm sorry, Ace-Queen, Ace-Jack, and King-Queen doing a lot of shoving. Now, we have these few kind of nasty outliers that uh, even I don't shove. We have the Ace-2 offsuit, King-7 offsuit, 9-8 suited, Queen-8 suited, and King-7 suited. That feels a little dicey. I think for simplicity, just shove all your king-queen offsuits and call today, And opt to call these hands instead. I think that's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Um, I will say in a tournament, 40 big blinds deep, you do want to be a little bit uh, risk-averse. Just in general, right? Because when you're down to 40 big blinds, presumably some of the field is gone. And if some of the field is gone, you know, I'm not saying there are immediate payout implications, but you'd rather hang out and survive and all that. Uh, Again, these charts presume everybody plays perfectly. If your opponents are screwing up left and right, then you want to take the more cautious route in general, especially in the scenarios that are roughly break-even. And if if you think that you're disadvantaged compared to your opponents, maybe you think they're way better than you for whatever reason, then you want to be way more aggressive, especially with shoves. Right? You can say ICM, it's okay. Eh, you know, I don't know. You You have to remember we are on YouTube on a free channel. A lot of people do not know ICM. A lot of people who think they know what ICM implies, they do not. Hello from Australia and from Cyprus. I've been to both those places. Those are both wonderful places. Hopefully I'll get back there at some point soon. Chevron Island. I don't know where Chevron Island is. We went to, uh, what was that place? Fraser Island? Does that sound right? Where the coyotes almost ate us? And the, my tent blew away? And I had to poop in a hole? That was a lot of fun. Um, okay. So these hands are shoving. The hands in dark red. The hands in lighter red are re-raising. Hello from Brooklyn. That's very near where I am. The hands in light red are re-raising. I think everybody re-raises small with the best hands. Aces, kings, queens, jacks, tens, ace, king. That makes a lot of sense. Next. Ace, queen, ace, jack, and ace, ten suited. You're re-raising these and not folding them if you get jammed. I want to make that crystal clear. Whenever you are re-raising, in all these spots, you'll see that it's very clear the hands that are getting it in for value, and then the hands that are not getting it in, that are re-raising small and then bluffing, right? So notice, 10s and better, Ace-10 suited and better, King-Queen suited or an Ace-King are re-raising small and getting it in, right? Then we have some non-all-in bluffs. Again, mostly with blockers, especially with hands that don't play especially well. That's going to be a bunch of Ace-X offsuit, King-X offsuit, Queen-X offsuit, then a few of these junkers right in here. So, You have to ask, are you actually re-raising small with these Junkers in here? Most people do not. Some people re-raise small with this Ace-10 suited and Ace-Jack suited and King-Queen suited and then fold it if they get shoved on. That is a big mistake. Do not do that. If you think you have to shove them if you get re-raised, well then, don't re-raise them to begin with. Because you really do not want to re-raise Ace-Jack suited and then get shoved and think, oh, I guess I gotta fold now. Because no, you do not. Ace-Jack suited is great versus the button. So, should you be taking these bluffs in this scenario? So your opponent makes it two on the button, you make it seven and a half in the big blind. Should you be doing that with the King-6, 10-7, 10-8, 9-8, whatever? Some people simply never do it, and that makes them very easy to play against. When you raise and they 3-bet you from the big blind, non all in, you know they have a really good hand. If they have a really good hand, you just fold everything. Life's easy. If your opponent announces they have this strong value range right in here, and none of these junkers, you just fold. Life's easy. Move on with your life. So make sure you are bluffing adequately. You must defend adequately versus raise, which does not mean just call. It means also re-raising some. Uh, Why shove pocket twos? Because it is the most profitable option. As Louis Philippe, who runs our study session, says, the villain can't call 40 big blinds too often, and you are essentially running them over. Correct. Also, why shove? Because it's profitable. You got to realize, pocket twos is very often the best hand. But if you just call preflop, and the flop comes whatever. It's not going to be easy to play at all. Your equity realization is going to be very, very bad whenever you call preflop, see the flop, and then just, what, check call one time with pocket twos and then check full turn. It's terrible. And so you're almost always in fine enough shape preflop and you can just rip it in. How do you personally decide when to bluff and or call with all of these junkers? Look, some people try to randomize it in various ways. Some people 3-bet the same hand every time. Like maybe they take every 10-7 offsuit and every King-6 offsuit and every 8-7 offsuit and they 3-bet those every time and they call the other ones. I personally think that's not a bad option at all in live poker where your opponents do not know what you're doing. They're not going to realize, all right, they always 3-bet the King-6 offsuit, right? They're not going to realize that. They're never going to figure that out. So I think that's a, a pretty decent strategy because if you look at all these junkers and add up their total frequencies it might be like enough to fill up three entire cells right so maybe take one like ace seven one king six and then maybe 10 seven or 10 eight or something like that maybe 10 eight's ideal that way we have some board coverage it's always nice if you do develop implementable strategies where you just three bet some hands every time and call the other ones every time you want the cards not really line up on top of each other so ace seven king six and 10 eight all line up on top of each other, or are all not lined up on top of each other, right? They're all different cards, so that's probably ideal. A seven, king, six, and ten, eight. Sure, three about those every time. Call it a. It looks weak when you shove. Well, the nice thing about shoving is you can literally tell your opponent what you have. The nice thing about these strategies is you can tell your opponent exactly what you're doing, and they will not be able to beat you. Because when you shove, with nines, eights, sevens, sixs, fives, threes, twos, ace, king, I'm sorry, ace, queen, ace, jack, and king, queen, That's a pretty good range. But like, yeah, if they have pocket 10s, they call. Duh, they should be calling 10s, right? They should be calling much wider than 10s. The button also has a very wide range. Yeah, the button's probably raising what? 50 something percent of hands, 52% of hands or whatever it is. And they are gonna fold to a shove a ton. They're not gonna raise with the queen eight offsuit or the nine five suited and then call an all in. They're not going to do it, okay? And if they do, then great, because you're going to be smashing them. So anyway, I wanted to show you these charts because I can guarantee you that everyone here today, myself included, does not play exactly like these charts say in spots where you should be playing exactly like these charts say. As Louis Philippe says here, the population in general, everyone, is not aggressive enough from the big blind, and that's especially true with the non-all-in 3-bet bluffs. And I presumed... Most of you would not be shoving quite enough. And like I said, myself included, I'm not shoving ace two and king seven ever. And that's that's maybe a mistake. I mean it is a mistake. I'm sitting here telling you it's a mistake. I need to work that into my game. It sure feels dirty, but fortunately the way you feel does not matter when you are playing poker. Are you shove? you shove is ace to calling. Well, fortunately for you, we have the Poker Coaching app. I'm going to pull off my phone right now. Get out your Poker Coaching app, everybody. You don't have to ask me this question ever again. Everybody get out your Poker Coaching app. If you don't have it, if you're a Poker Coaching member, it's included. Let's see. We can type in Big Blind. I oh, don't know. We want Button versus 3 bet all-in from Big Blind. What should we call with? Here it is. I have it right here on my phone. Can you see it? It took me that long to literally find my phone, open up my phone, get it out, and find the chart. Ace-10 offsuit does call it off, pocket fives and better does call it off, Ace-8 suited and better calls it off, and Ace-10 suited and better calls it off. What if late registration is closed? Good! If you get called and lose, you can go home, do something else with your life. So anyway, please play well, please play well. If you do not play well before the flop, you're already making disastrous mistakes. You may say, but if I play a little bit tighter, isn't that fine? I mean, I guess it's fine, but you're losing value. You got to realize all these hands that are like barely playable. Yeah, they're barely profitable, but they have value, right? And if you make 0.02 big blinds every time you play it, well, those add up. I didn't mention the calling range, but calling range preflop, big blind versus button. Every suited hand must be played now. You can't go around folding any suited hand against a min raise. Also, um, a lot more offsuit hands play, right? Right? Most of the time in tournaments, you have ICM to consider. Most of the time in tournaments is definitely inaccurate. Most of the time in tournaments, you play in the first half of the field where there are essentially no payout implications. Especially in the reentry period, there are no payout implications for, the, for all practical purposes if we're not like somehow incredibly deep stacked where we quadrupled up early. So, yes, these are Chippy V charts. Because obviously, if there are payout implications, you cannot just develop a random chart for a random spot. And I would be a very bad coach if I was to sit here and show you a random chart for a random ICM spot and say this applies in all scenarios. That would be really dumb. And, um, you know, I don't know what the deal is, but it seems like people on the internet think that I'm really dumb a lot of the time. And I don't really get it. What have I done to make you all think I'm just really, 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 really dumb? I don't get it. Maybe the fact they wake up at 9 a.m. for no good reason besides to appease all of you and do a show on Monday mornings. Maybe that's what makes them think that. Anyway, if you enjoy the show, click the like and subscribe button. These presume there are no payouts. I hope that's obvious. If they're payouts, you need to develop a different chart for your exact specific scenario. We discuss this thoroughly in pokercoaching.com. We do have lots of ICM charts available in the app. Actually, they're not in the app. They're on the website. Don't listen to haters. I'm not listening to the haters. Don't worry. That's not my problem. It's important to realize that whenever people hate on you on the internet, they don't actually know you. Why in the world would you listen to someone's thought process about you if they do not know you at all? My, fa- my favorite critique that everybody says, not everybody, some people, some of the other coaches who don't know what they're doing, they say Jonathan Little's content is all very basic. You want to know why? Because they watch one YouTube video, usually a very popular one that people who are new to poker enjoy, and think, oh, that's super basic. He must be teaching very basic stuff. They don't realize pokercoaching.com is perhaps the most advanced poker site out there because I'm hiring literally the most advanced poker players in the world. Ooh, and we have some good content lined up. We had some great meetings while I was out in Vegas. I'm excited for what we have coming up very in, in the near future for all of you at pokercoaching.com. That's going to be great. Can't spoil it now. Can't spoil it now. I don't like talking about stuff until it's actually finished, but I'm very very excited about that. Anyway, y'all got me sidetracked. Look at the calling range. Calling range is wider. Uh jack four offsuit, you know? You got to be extra special to be able to profitably defend the Jack-4 offsuit. Um, Everything else here looks normal, though, and I think most people do call this stuff. Uh, One thing some people do wrong is they do not call, or they call everything from the big blind. That's definitely not something you can do. You can't just defend the 9-3 offsuit or the 5-2 offsuit, et cetera, et cetera. That said, Jack-4, you know, it's probably okay. It's probably okay. It's going to be tough, though. You got to be really, really good. All right, next. Play well post-flop. This requires a lot of study. Again, be sure to check call and check raise adequately. Speaking of check raising adequately, I'm going to be in a box reading to myself for about 40 hours over the next two weeks. For all of you, I have a new book coming out, 100 Essential Tips to Master No Limit Hold'em. It's essentially 100 articles on specific spots that I want to make sure all of you are playing well. Because there are a lot of spots that a lot of people screw up. Maybe this is why they think I'm crazy, because I'll sit in a box for 40 hours for my fans and make basically no money off of it. Crazy, huh? Who would possibly do that unless they actually liked what they were doing and they liked helping out people? All right, let's take a look at a few spots. We're gonna be looking at 40 big blinds deep, big blind versus a button raise, okay? 40 big blinds deep, big blind versus a button raise. No payout implications, obviously. If there were, I would tell you. Yeah, watch Jonathan Jaffe videos. Jonathan Jaffe just won the Alpha 8 for one and a half million bucks. Good for him. I've known he's a crusher for forever. I actually won one of those trophies back there. You can't really see it. It's made of glass or crystal or something. I beat him somehow, heads up. He's one of the best heads up players in the world. And I won. We actually had one of the longest heads up matches ever on WPT history. The short stack just kept winning every all in. He actually told me, many years later, that I crushed him in terms of EV because I was playing very aggressively preflop. And you want to know why I was playing very aggressively preflop a long time ago before I even knew what I was doing? I'd studied a decent amount of heads up poker. I battled a lot at heads up sit and goes, and I knew very definitively, if you are playing against someone who's better than you, jack up the aggression. Don't get in a small, grindy match against someone who's better than you. And back then, I fully realized Jonathan Jaffe was better at heads up than me. So what did I do? I ratcheted up the aggression to the maximum, and I was ripping it in his face over and over and over again. (laughs) Back then, I was only a mere $1,000 buy-in heads up player. Jonathan Jaffe was the king of the $5,000 buy-in games. Nobody wanted to play him. And when they did, they lost. And, uh... I knew I was a disadvantaged, so when you're disadvantaged, ratchet it up. Don't be so uh, egotistical to think that I'm the best player, so I'm going to try to smallball this player who's literally the king of heads-up and goes. And here I am, playing a one-time heads-up sit-and-go, where the buy-in is essentially, what, $250,000. Yeah, I'd probably rather not, not think I, I'm better than my opponent in this instance, and I'd rather just do what I know I need to do. Anyway, you all are sidetracking me to death today. I don't mind. How do you check raises a bluff effectively? Here we are. 40 big blinds deep. Button. I'm sorry. Big blind versus button. 33% pot bet on ace, jack, five. Okay. As a broad generalization, 40-ish big blinds deep. This is going to be different whenever you are in different scenarios. On boards that generally favor your opponent's range where you do not have a whole lot of nuts. And on ace, jack, five, notice we are lacking aces, kings, queens, jacks, tens ace-king, ace-queen, ace-jack, right? We are lacking all these good hands because we would have shoved them or played them differently pre-flop. Notice we're lacking all the pairs because we would have shoved them or three-bet them all, right? We're lacking some of this nonsense down here because we would have three-bet some of it, right? So, what are we doing here? In scenarios like this, 40 big wide if you basically always, always want to check-raise your best top pairs, as we see here, notice some um, ace-eight-ish and better is check-raising. So we have ace-ten, check-raising, ace-nine, and ace-eight and Ace-5, which is two-pair, and Jack-5, which is two-pair. For value, we're check-raising those, and we are getting our money in. All right? You may say, oh, check-raise Ace-8 and get it in. Yeah. These are hands that are almost the top of our range. The nice thing about having an Ace in our hand, too, is it makes it harder for the opponent to have an Ace. Now, when you do check-raise in this spot, where you're actually not check-raising all that often, when we do get check-raised, our opponent is not going to re-raise all that often. They just shouldn't, but, you know, there you go. What size do we check raise? Half pot. Half pot's a little bit convoluted. What we do here is say the opponent made it two. We called pre-flop. That makes the pot, what, 5.5? We check the flop. They bet 1.75 or two. Let's just say two for simplicity. Okay. Pot's seven and a half. We put in our call first. Now it's nine and a half. Now we're going to go half on top of that, which is call it five, okay? So we put in two and then five more to make it seven total. So on the flop, we check. They bet two. We make it seven. That is a half pot raise. Do we figure out any, any raise in terms of percentage of pot, you call the bet you are facing, and then add in whatever like pot or half pot is on top of that call amount. So here you'd make it seven. How much are you worrying about a flush draw? I mean, what do you mean worrying about it? Not, not worried. We're playing a card game here. It's okay. Sometimes you lose. All right. What else are we check raising? You're going to find... That on boards where you don't actually have a whole lot of hands that want to check raise and get it in, most of your bluffs are going to come from either, well, slow down, slow down, slow down. In all scenarios, your bluffs are going to come from high equity draws. In this scenario, that's going to be flush draws. Low equity draws, that's going to be stuff like gut shots or overcards on some boards. Not here because we don't have any overcards to an ace, right? And um, just air ball bluffs. Now, on this board again, we don't have a whole lot of airball bluffs. So, what are high equity draws in this instance? Well, high equity draws are going to be flush draws, which we see little slivers of these flush draws all calling and raising. Notice that we're mixing it up, check raising some flush draws, calling some flush draws. It looks like it's roughly 50-50 with all of them, which is kind of neat to see. Gut shots are actually check raising a lot. Notice 4-3, 3-2, and 4-2 are check raising a large chunk of the time. And then, we have some additional draws, call them quote-unquote draws, Bottom pairs, bottom pairs with backdoor straight draw. 5, 4, and 5, 3 seem to like to raise. These are some that most people miss. Most people do not check raise 5, 4, and 5, 3 in these instances. They just don't do it. Most people know to check raise the 4, 3, but they don't check raise the 5, 4, and the 6, 5, and the 7, 5, and the 5, 3, myself included. Again, this is a spot that a lot of people miss. They think, all right, I'm going to check, call, and go from there. The problem is, again, equity realization is terrible. Your equity realization is terrible. And, um, you know, that's a bit of a problem. Do we check-raise gut shots with a flush draw every time, the bad ones? Um, I mean, look, I, I imagine the solver does not check-raise any of these every single time, but uh, that said, probably, I mean, if I had to think of hands that really don't mind check-raising, uh, gut shots with flush draws seem very likely to do it. Note up, note up here, though, like, King-10 suited? Never check-raises. Cool to see, right? That's because King-high, when you check-raise King-high and your opponent folds, what are they folding? They're folding worse than king high, right? You just had the best hand a lot and, you know, you have a hand that can easily check, call, flop, and continue on the turn. Whereas when you check raise the the four or two of diamonds and they fold, it's a huge success because they're always folding the best hand, right? Okay, let's take a look at the calling hands. Everybody knows to call every pair, right? Look at a pair of fives. They all continue, right? We're not not folding any pair here. Next, what else is calling? Well, we have a lot of flush draws. All these that are mixed frequencies here are all flush draws. Notice, interestingly enough, king nine, king eight, king seven of hearts for backdoor flush draw. Do not check call against a two big blind bet. That's the spot where maybe I even defend a little bit too wide. You give me king nine of hearts here. Am I really just letting it go for one bet? Feels feels nitty. Um, notice all these gut shots up here call. Uh, can't go around folding like king ten of diamonds on this board. It's just a pretty good hand. Okay, so don't, don't do that. Uh, what else is calling? We have some slivers of King X. All of these are gonna have King of Spades. We see Queen nine and Queen eight. This is gonna be Queen of Spades nine, Queen of Spades eight, right? But then everything else is folding. That's it. It is worth noting King of Spades X is continuing though, okay? A lot of people don't continue this. They just fold it every time, but these hands do call. And I think that's pretty logical. The nice thing about this spot is that we're actually supposed to fold a lot. Half the time when you're folding half the time, it's usually pretty easy to figure out what you need to continue with. And we're folding half the time, even against this two big blind bet into a five and a half big blind pot because our equity is in the dumpster. Our equity is 39%, which means the opponent's is 61. 61 is huge. And that's because if you look at our range, we don't have all these good hands. And they do, right? They have all the good hands and we do not. Therefore... We have to drastically overfold. We are in terrible shape because our equity is very bad, and we also lack the nut advantage. Because our opponent has ace jack and aces and jacks and fives, and we do not. Right? So we are just smashed here. We have to be very tight. And we have to be very tight. Like life's actually kind of easy. I think most people do this pretty well. They probably don't check raise quite often enough. Um, especially with these five X. All right, let's take a look at another spot. Here's a fun one. 4 to be blinds, big blind versus button. Against a 33%, pet bot, a 33% pot bet on King King Six. Now, I am using 33% pot here, whereas in reality, the actual better size for the opponent may be something like one big blind or two big blinds, or sometimes bigger. Right? Um. In order to look at any scenario, you have to look at your opponent's bet size, right? And even when they are using mixed strategies, you're going to play differently against one bet size or the other. So, keep that in mind. If your opponent bets bigger, you're going to continue tighter. If they bet t- Smaller, you're going to continue looser, okay? Don't think this is just what how you proceed against all bet sizes. Okay, King-King-6, no flush draw. What a doozy. Okay, King-King-6, no flush draw. We have a lot of Kings. Our opponent does too, but notice any King is basically nuts, so we don't really care. So all the Kings are putting in a check raise. By the way, on this board, I would not be shocked at all if when you check raise, you should check raise even smaller, So when they bet two, I would not be shocked at all if, like, four is ideal. Like, minimum. Yeah, what if opponent bets bigger? If opponent bets bigger, fold more often. Whenever you play as a big blind, should you consider bluffing like a compulsive liar? What does bluffing like a compulsive liar mean? I feel like if you're a compulsive liar and everybody knows that, you shouldn't really bluff all that often. So no, you should bluff way more often than never. All right, so all the King X's check-raising, that's obvious. Um, Not all. When I say all, I don't mean... 100%, I mean most, right? Notice there are some King X calling, so you do need to slow play some, okay? What else is check raising? A lot of sixes are check raising, which almost no one does. If you give a lot of people a six in this spot on King King six, they just check call because they're worried about being against Jack's, 10s, 9s, 8s, 7s, whatever, and you could be, but you have to realize these sixes have a lot of equity, and they are some of the best hands you can have, right? So, you check-raise them a large chunk of the time. They're almost always good, and they are very vulnerable. It is a dicey spot to play. I get it, but they like to check-raise. The nice thing about check-raising sixes here is that your range is very well protected because look at all the kings you're check-raising. Your opponent can't do anything when you're check-raising a whole lot of kings. Does Poker Coaching have PLO content? Not yet, but very soon. Did I explain why we have such a higher check-raise higher check raise frequency on the paired board? Um, and Louis Fleep here in the chat may know some actual answer. In my mind, you want to check-raise your nut hands in spots like this, because otherwise it's just going to go check-check on the turn a lot, and you're going to completely value, right? Because if you do face a small continuation meta on the flop and the opponent, we check-call on the turn. If the opponent doesn't have a king, they're just going to check it back a lot. And then we just don't get money in the pot with the nuts. And on top of that, we have a lot of hands that really don't want to check call, like Jack-7 of Backdoor Flush Draw. You really want to check call the Jack-7 Backdoor Flush Draw? Like, not really. But it's definitely, it definitely has good equity. So this is a very, very nice hand to bluff, right? Because it has uh, not even that much backdoor potential, but it has an overcard to the 6. The over When you're bluffing here, you really want to have the overcard to the 6 or cards that wrap around the 6. Like we see 7-4, uh, for example. 7-4 Backdoor Flush Draw raises every time. Because you can't really check call the 7-4 backdoor flush draw, 7-high out of position, right? It doesn't work. So, you check raise it. And when you have a lot of draws like this that really want to raise, well, you want to take a lot of your best hands and you want to raise. You say, this is a good flop for the big blind. Notice it's actually not. Look at our equity, 41%. Pretty terrible, right? Our equity is pretty terrible. Okay, so when your equity is pretty terrible, it's actually not good for us. Notice our folding percentage is 50%, again, very high. But compared to this situation, the previous situation, where we have almost the same equity and we're folding the same amount, in this scenario, we raise almost never, 13%. In this scenario, we're raising 28%. Why is that? Well, it's because we have a whole lot more effective nut hands here. When We have a lot of effective nut hands that can just check raise and load the money in. That allows you to check raise with far more bluffs. And the nice thing about this spot is that all these bluffs have really low showdown value. So you really want to raise those. Louis Fleet, GTO Genius, says, The button is betting but betting very often on paired boards, so is the big blind. We'll often be defending mostly by raising. Yeah, they're continuation betting very, very wide, right? And when they're continuation betting very wide, like I said, maybe even for a tinier size, you're going to want to check raise a large chunk of the time with a very polarized range. fortunately, here our range is obviously polarized with kings, sixes, and... Worse than a king. Junk, right? Okay, uh, what is actually calling here? Let's take a look at what is calling. All the ace highs, or mostly ace highs are continuing. Ace high without overcard to the six or backdoor flush draw is not good enough. We fold those, okay? Um, we see queen jack and queen 10 and jack 10 continuing with calls sometimes, right? Some of these queen highs, some of these king highs are continuing with calls. I say king highs, not king highs. Some of these queen highs and jack highs are continuing with calls. Everything else is folding, though. Nice and easy. Camped in, subbing for four months on Twitch. Prime, thank you. By the way, if you all are Amazon Prime members, you get to s- subscribe to someone's Twitch channel for free every month. You have to manually do it, but it gives that person $2.50. I appreciate, uh, I appreciate all the $2.50, but feel free to give them to anybody you would like, because otherwise it goes wasted. I'd rather anybody who's working hard to make content have the $2.50 than Amazon. In the Tournament Masterclass, you prove that in position can bet one big blinds on these paired boards with their entire range. Yeah, I know that, Louis Philippe. I was there. I did it. But yes, um, one big blind bets are very good on paired boards just because you have a big range advantage. From the opponent's point of view, they have 59% equity, right? When you have more than like 58-ish percent equity, you can usually bet with your entire range. Not always. Again, this is a general rule. But in spots like that, you can usually bet very frequently and... When your opponent has a lot of nut hands in their range that they're just never, ever, ever folding and they can load money in, those are times you really want to bet small. So on King, King, X, or any paired board, your opponent's usually going to have a lot of trips, right? So when they have a lot of trips, but the initial raiser has the big range advantage, they bet very frequently using a tiny size. It's a very common spot when you have a big range advantage, but not the nut advantage. You bet frequently and tiny. Especially when all of your hands that you have in your range are not that likely to get a whole lot worse on the turn. That's usually... Another time, you want to be betting very small. Because like right here, if you have a king, you just have the nuts. And if you don't have the king, you don't have the nuts, right? So That usually leads to very frequent and tiny betting. Louis Philippe runs a study session very often for Poker Coaching members. Definitely check it out. If you're a Poker Coaching member, or if you're not even, you can get in our Discord. Go to PokerCoaching.com, find the Community tab, get in the Discord. And Louis Philippe runs amazing study sessions all the time for our members. And the members are crushing it. So make sure you check that out. All right, let's take a look at another spot. 40 big blinds, button versus big blind. Again, same spot, jack-6-2, very uncoordinated board. Remember what I just told you on the uh, ace-jack-5 board? You almost always check-raise your best top pairs, okay? So let's start with that. We're almost always going to check-raise our best top pairs on jack-6-2. Jack what are our best top pairs on jack-6-2? Well, it looks like in this scenario, jack-8 and better. Go for it. I, if I was naturally thinking about this, I probably would not have check raised the jack eight. I probably would have check raised the jack nine or better. So maybe I'm a little bit too tight here, right? But notice like all the jack nine and better just check raises every time. Okay. Definitely worth noting. Next, you want to check raise a lot of draws. What are draws on jack six two? Well, on jack six two, draws are going to be the gut shots, very obviously five four, five three, four three. They're not check raising every time, which is kind of interesting. We also want to check raise with some backdoor flush draws with backdoor straight draws. Remember I said earlier that if you had an overcard to the board with some extra equity, don't know if I said with extra equity, but with extra equity, those are pretty good check raise hands too. Um, So notice king five, king four, king three, queen five, queen four, queen three. These are overcards to the board with backdoor straight draw with backdoor flush draw. They have all the draws. So these hands are check raising a ton. Notice the ace high doesn't really check raise a lot because ace highs are sometimes good. You can just check, call, flop, and evaluate. That way, when you check call the flop, you have some over backdoor flush draw. And when you check raise, you have some overcard back backdoor, backdoor flush draw. You're going to find that very often, in all, basically every spot, you want to have a mix of the same type of hands when you check call and when you check raise. That way, your opponent doesn't know what you have in any of these scenarios. Otherwise, their life becomes very, very easy. Notice when you check call, jack-6-2, you have some jacks when you check raise, and you have some jacks when you check call and it makes their life difficult. You want to check raise the better ones with the better kickers, because sometimes you're going to just be dominating your opponent, and then you get to load money in as a super favorite. You don't really want to check raise Jack-3, because when you check raise Jack-3 and get a lot of action, you could easily be crushed, but when you check raise the King-Jack, you're way less likely to be crushed by Jack-10 or something like that. All right, what else was check raising? What would I have missed? I would have probably missed the sixes. Again, this is just a thing that a lot of people don't do, myself included. They don't check raise the middle pairs or the bottom pairs, adequately. And it's actually kind of hard to know. I mean, maybe Louis Philippe has a heuristic here where like, when do you check raise middle pair versus bottom pair? Maybe the bottom pair here is just such trash that you don't really want to. But notice, uh, you usually check raise when you have one of these two pairs with backdoor or or, or with additional equity. So either backdoor straight draw or like an overcard. So we see here like some king six, queen six, and a six raise. Also notice uh, like six, five and six, four will raise sometimes, right? They have a little bit of backdoor equity. What else is check raising? Notice queen 10 and queen 9 is check raising, which makes a lot of sense, right? These have backdoor straight draw, backdoor flush draw, kind of like the queen 5. Notice these can check call a little bit happier, though, because they have, they're just a little bit better, right? Whenever it's a little bit better, it's it's more valuable, right? Like, say you have queen 3 and the turn's of 3, you don't really love it. Whereas whenever you have queen 9 and the turn's of 9, it's pretty good. And um, that's about it here. Notice now we're folding way less often. Remember, the previous two spots, you're folding 50% and 50%, right? Fold and fold. Here we're only folding 36%, 37%. So why are we folding way less often here? Well, our equity is way better, right? Notice here our equity is 43%, which means the opponent has, what, 56% roughly? So when we have 56%, We are going to be folding way less often. Remember I said the opponent just gets to crush you and they have like 58% or more. Here we're at 56-ish, 56.5, whatever the number is, um, for the opponent. And they're not crushing us quite so bad, so that results in us continuing way more often. It is high lows or backdoor flush draws and one over, as you said. They get better kings and queens to fold. Yeah, I guess what I'm wondering is why are we check-raising the queen six as opposed to the queen two? And I, mean, I realize this is a very different spot here, but like on ace-jack-five, notice we're not check-raising any jacks, right? But we do check-raise a lot of fives down here. And this may just straight up be a function of the five is very vulnerable, whereas the jack is not. And on this board, perhaps the six and the two are both super vulnerable themselves. So Um I, I get it. Like both are very vulnerable here. Whereas if it was like jack 10 2, I have to imagine we'd be check-raising the... Well, we have more draws to begin with, logical draws, but... If we were going to be check-raising with some pairs, it's probably not going to be the tens, right? It's going to be the twos. As your pair is more vulnerable in general, you check-raise it more often across the board, If you, especially if it's going to realize its equity very poorly. And perhaps the six and the two are equally bad here, or close enough to equally bad, and the six is just a little bit better because it crushes five scores and threes sometimes. I don't know. Interesting spot, right? I don't know. I'll let you all type in the chat. So it's just a float with an over card and a backdoor. You gotta remember, your opponent's betting small, right? So when they're betting small, two big blinds into five and a half, yeah, if you have the queen nine of spades, you're certainly not folding queen nine of spades. Queen nine of spades is great. You can't go around folding queen nine of spades or over card and backdoor flush draw, either raising it or calling one of the two. That's for sure. One of the players from our poker coaching study session won a World Series ring the other day, and you're gonna review his hand history right after this show. Awesome. Maybe it's because the six blocks more two pairs. Yeah, quite possibly. That, that would make some sense. The opponent's not going to raise too many twos pre pre-flop, but they will raise some sixes. And when you have a six in your hand, it blocks their two pair. Sure. Yeah, you know I'm saying though? Like some of these spots are hard. They're difficult. And I'm sure there's some logical heuristic there that you can use that will let you know in this spot, check raise the six and not the two. What if it was jack six, five? Which one gets check raise then? 7-5 or 7-6. I got to imagine 7-5. I don't know why, but that's just like me logically thinking about the spot, right? Well, not even logically thinking. That's me from looking at a million of these <laughs> solutions. Maybe uh, maybe the five check raises more often there instead of the six. But again, that's why I'm saying, going back to the first slide here, if you do not study, you will not play well. Study, big blind strategies, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. Let's give a few more just to be sure that you all know that I'm serious. Exclamation points, okay? Let's look at one more spot. Dean C is a godlike contributor. Thank you, Dean C. I appreciate you being here. I Appreciate all of you being here. Yeah, seven five and five four, of course. All right, forty big blinds versus button, two thirds pot on nine seven five. Now, interesting spot. Um, if we're just going to talk about this exact scenario for simplicity, but on this board, I, I guess the opponents betting more polarized using the bigger size. So they are going bigger. When they're going bigger, we're going to check raise less often and we're going to fold more often. Okay? If they check raise more often and we're going to... uh, If they check raise more often, we're going to fold less often and proceed with more caution. If they bet smaller, we would be continuing more and we would be um, check raising more. Anyway, two-thirds pot on the 975. That's apparently one of the... one of the often used GTO bet sizes on this spot. We donk bet on this board. Mm, I don't know. Probably not 40 big blinds deep. You're going to find... 40-ish, big blinds deep and deeper, you really don't do a whole lot of leading. Leading is usually not ideal in that scenario. You're surprised we are check-raising still a decent amount. Um, Well, our equity is pretty good, right? I mean, it's fine. It's, our equity is fine, but also we have a lot of really good hands. So, okay, slow down that rise. We're all getting sidetracked. Let's look at what we're doing. What are we check-raising on 9.75? Our best top pairs. Always check-raise best top pairs. Can't make it any more clear. What are our best top pairs here? Jack, uh, jack 9, Queen 9 are better, roughly? Yeah, so look, Jack 9 or Queen 9 are better are check-raising a large chunk of the time. Standard stuff. Something else you'll learn. Pair plus gut shot is very, very good. Notice, nine eight, seven six, nine six, all check-raising a large chunk of the time. Top pair with a gut shot is very, very good. And some middle pairs with gut shots are pretty good as well. Okay, two pairs are obviously pretty good. Notice some slow playing with the 9-7. Tricky, tricky. That is something also worth noting when you do check call. You usually want to have some nuts in your range. Let's just go back and confirm. On eight jack, five, do we check call any nuts? Mm, not a ton here. Because the board is a flush draw probably. Fine, doesn't apply. King, king, x, obviously we check call some kings. We showed that already. Jack, six, two, do we check call jack, six, some? Yes, we do. Notice the board's not all that draw heavy, so we check call a little bit more often with the slow play nuts. 6-2 suited, probably slow play some, yeah, a little bit, right? nine seven five slow play some as well. Okay? So check raising, you know, good top pairs and better, and pair plus gut shot, uh, top pair plus gut shot. What else? On 9-7-5, uh, we're going to be check raising a lot of 8s and 6s here, because these are gut shots. Notice, 8s. 8s are check raising a large chunk, 6s are check raising some chunk. Interesting to see the jack 6 randomly just fold. They're like, nah, I'm off the jack six. Queen six is okay though. It is worth noting some of these do fold though, like King six, no backdoor flush draw, just folds some portion of the time. We need to see what button bets with to understand our response. Of course, I'm presuming the opponent plays good strong GTO poker. Slow down. We have another slide for you, dude. We're gonna get there in just a second. Um, all pairs are gonna continue. St- Why well, say all pairs? Not all pairs actually. Notice that some pairs are folding in this spot as the board contains more already very strong hands to the point that like your pair could just be dead. You're gonna be folding out some of your worst pairs. So what are our worst pairs here? Well that's gonna be like bottom pair with undercards. So notice four three, five three, jack five even queen five sometimes just fold. Jack five feels a little bit nitty to me. I mean look to be fair it does call a lot but I get the idea of like folding five three immediately and five four immediately. I could get behind that. I mean five three especially five three is pretty awful. What about 73s? That's always call. I mean we don't have very many of them. Okay, that makes sense. So we're raising with top pair good kicker and better, slow playing every once in a while, and with lots of gut shots. Notice we're not check raising very many total air balls here. That's because we have a lot of logical draws. As you have a whole lot more logical draws, you don't really start check raising with so much junky so many junkier hands. Like for example, notice all these like king queen four suited just folds 100%, right? Also notice we're not continuing with so many overcards that have just overcards because we have a whole lot of more logical hands that can continue. Like King-Jack with no flush draw or no backdoor flush draw just folds, right? King-Jack has no backdoor flush draw. It just gets out of the way. Jack-10, power hand, overcards cards, gut shot. That's a nice hand right there. That likes to continue with a check raise a lot. Notice even like Ace-10 just folds. I don't know if I would fold the Ace-10 to the two-thirds pot bet. I can tell you if the opponent bets smaller, I would def- you would definitely continue. But, again, this goes to show you that as your opponent uses a bigger size, you do need to fold a decent amount of the time. Anyway, look. Play well post-flop. This requires a lot of study. It requires a lot of study. And we just showed you flop strategies here. Turn strategies get dicey, too. Um, we discussed this thoroughly in the Tournament Masterclass and the Advanced Tournament course. So, yeah. Who builds these beautiful slides for you? I wake up at 6 a.m. I do all my children. I get my children out of the house. They get out of the house at about 8.15 I pull up my calendar to see what topic am I discussing today. I open up a blank PowerPoint, and then I make this PowerPoint presentation. It'll take me about 15 minutes. Then I go and take a shower. And then it's time. I'll answer emails for 12 minutes. And then I'll get ready to stream. And then I stream for an hour. That said, I'm sure somebody designed this pretty background. This is just a background. You can just, like, right-click and use the background on all all the PowerPoints you want. It's easy. Anyway, I make all these. We know some other people who make a lot of their PowerPoints in Poker Coaching. Justin Sleba is a master PowerPoint creator at this point. He's a genius. All right, number three. Well, first off, number one. Slow down. Number one, defend adequately. Number two, play well post slop Number three, exploit. You got to figure out what your opponents do wrong and then adjust. For example... If your opponent raises far too wide from the button, what should you do? Re-raise more in general. Shove more in general. Same thing over here. What if they raise far too wide under the gun? Here's a neat question. What if they raise under the gun with the button raising range? What if they raise under the gun with the button raising range? What should you do? How should you play? Your opponent raises under the gun with a button-raising range, it folds around to you in the big blind. How should you play 40 big blinds deep? Well, presuming they defend adequately from that point on, exactly like this. Just like this. We have the chart right here. If you know the range your opponent is playing with, find the chart and then use that chart. If that chart already exists. Now, I don't have ranges against even wider than button. Actually, we we can probably make them, it wouldn't be hard. Uh, But you'll see, you're going to re-raise more and you're going to shove more. Simple as that. Now, what would you do if you are against someone who re-raises far wider on the button, but every time you 3-bet, they're going to go all in, because they're nuts? What do you think? If you're all enjoying today's show, by the way, click the like and subscribe button down below. You will shove more, because if you shove more, they're going to fold. They're not going to call off with the 9-5 suited or whatever, or the Jack-4 offsuit. you got to be crazy to do that. And we want to re-raise wider with a linear range. And never with a bluff. You don't want to 3-bet the jack-7 offsuit because they're just going to rip it in your face, right? So, 3-bet wider with a linear range. Maybe, like, I don't know, just off the top of my head. Depends on their strategy, right? But 7s are better. Maybe, like, ace-8 suited and better. King-jack suited and better. Ace-10 offsuit and better. re those knowing that they're, they're going to shove all sorts of trash and then you're going to call it off and you're going to crush them. So you got to use logic, right? Post-flop exploits. What do you do against players who continuation bet the flop too frequently? I already showed you the answer, but let's pretend like you didn't get to see the answer. The answer is not as easy as call more often or raise more often against someone who continuation bets every time. What should you do against someone who continuation bets too frequently? There are two very clear answers to this. I already showed them to you if you can read quickly or while I talk. I have a hard time reading while I talk, which is why I fumble all over my words all the time. It's as if English is my third language. Well, the answer is when you have the nut advantage, you raise more often. So, on this board, where we have a lot of nuts on King King 6, if they continuation bet very frequently, and to be fair, the GTO strategy is already to continuation bet King King 6 very frequently, you raise a lot. And like right here, they can probably bet one day blind with everything and it's fine. But,. If they do that, you see you get to raise a ton. This is like naturally trying to take advantage of this this concept because we have a lot of nuts here, right? So we have a lot of nuts here, so we check raise a ton. When we don't have a lot of nuts though, such as on this board, ace jack 5, we lack the nut advantage. We lack the range advantage when if they continuation bet too often here, which again, they should be continuation betting very often here, but if they do continuation bet too too often, whatever that means. Um you're going to call more often. You would widen your calling range. Maybe to include stuff like King-9, Backdoor, Flush Draw, etc. Okay? So call more when you do not have the nut advantage. Raise more when you do have the nut advantage. That's what you do against someone who continuation bets too frequently. We have a lot of examples of this in our advanced tournament course. This is a very common spot that comes up all the time where somebody raises, you call the big blind, you check the flop, they bet everything. On every board, on every flop. It's standard. Remember, I used to play with Barry Greenstein. I saw Barry Greenstein in the World Series. Shout out to Barry Greenstein. He said, hello, to me in the bathroom where you wash your hands. And I said, hello. Um, He used to continuation bet 100% of the time. Maybe he's chilled out with that because it does not work anymore against players who have half a clue. Nobody had a clue back in the day. That's what I wrote in my first tournament book. Continuation bet every time because people fold too often. They don't fold too often anymore. Now they fight. So, against someone who does continuation bet, like I did back in 2007, and Barry Greenside did did in 2007, you should be doing this. Raising more often when you have the nut advantage, calling more often when you don't. Next, what do you do against people who continuation bet too infrequently? They only continuation bet with the nuts or good hands. Now, I will say, people who continuation bet too infrequently, sometimes they don't continuation bet the nuts. They continuation bet just like all their draws or all their junk. They bet when they don't have it. Against someone who bets when they don't have it, obviously your strategy is going to be very different than someone who bets when they have it. This presumes their continuation betting when they have it, when they just have the nuts. Fold far more often. Don't be calling with random king eye, and don't check raise nearly as often with bluffs when they are going to have a very good hand when they bet, right? Logical, common sense spot. Next, we we'll have players who cap their bet sizes on the turn and river especially, because on the turn and the river, that's when you're going to see over bets being pulled out, especially from good players who have studied. Well, if they cap their bet size, say they're supposed to, in GTO world, have like a 2x pot bet, a pot bet, and a half pot bet. Let's just pretend. What if they only use half pot and pot? Typically, you should know that the 2x pot bet is going to be very polarized. It's going to have all their best hands and some draws, right? If they put all those in their big bet size, their big bet size of pot, well, now that pot size bet gets very strong compared to what it should be. Because now it contains a whole lot more super-duper nut hands, right? So, if they don't use overbets, if your opponents don't use overbets, as I'm telling you, almost no one does, especially in small and medium stakes games, in that scenario, what do you do? Well, you raise far less often against that big bet size. Goodbye. Um, Whenever people... Cap their bet sizes. You, in turn, raise less often. This is something a lot of people do not consider. They don't even think about it. But it's a very, very important exploit at small and middle stakes, especially. Because if they don't use overbets, especially in logical overbet spots, like on a very dynamic board. Say the flop is jack, 10, 5, 4. Two flush draws, right? On jack, 10, 5, 4, after someone bets the flop and you call, they should be overbetting the turn a lot. If they don't overbet the turn and instead they use small bet size or pot, instead of small bet size or pot or huge don't raise nearly as often as you may think you should because that pot size is going to be very, very strong. There are a million more exploits. We discussed a lot of them in the advanced tournament course on pokercoaching.com. Go check it out. I think I just sent out an email. If you're on my email list, I think we actually just sent out a last reminder. You can get the advanced tournament course at a big discount, so make sure you check that out. You might as well. By the way, when you sign up for anything at pokercoaching.com, if you do not like it for any reason, let us know within 30 days. we will give you a full refund. It will cost you zero dollars. Not sure if any other training sites let you uh, try it for a whole month. And if you don't like it for any reason, they'll just give you all your money back. But look, if I do not help you improve your poker skills, I do not want or deserve your money. Simple as that. That's going to be it for today. I have a coaching session now with a student. Skeleton inside. Subscribe with Subscribe with Twitch Prime. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Go subscribe to other people too. Subscribe to them as well. They need the love. You all give me plenty of love. I know I'm well loved around here. It was very, very uh, fun and exciting and nice to go to the World Series of Poker and just have every single day people telling me they appreciate my work. That feels good. Because I do do a lot of work. And um, that's nice. That's about the new content. We have a PLO course coming out very soon. We have perhaps a giant mixed game course coming out at some point. We have advanced cash game course featuring one of the absolute biggest cash game crushers in the world coming out at some point. We have... Uh, Super duper high-level tournament course coming out from a player I've been trying to get to make us content for about the last ten years. That'll be coming out at some point. At some point, you know, all the stuff takes time. All the stuff takes time. I don't like uh, saying we're gonna have anything until we have it because uh, I know stuff sometimes stuff sometimes stuff does not get done. But these are things that are cooking. Hopefully, we don't burn them or drop them on the floor. That's gonna be it. I have to go now. Good luck in your games. Have fun. Thank you for being here. I hope you make the most of your week. I appreciate each and every one of you.